A national crisis is growing in Israel. Lawmakers voted yesterday to weaken the Supreme Court's power to block government actions. The measure was pushed through despite months of civil unrest. Protesters say the proposals threaten one of the only real checks on government power in Israel's fragile political system. This may be just the start of a wider overall of Israel's legal system. Further unrest is expected. Well, the Department of Justice sued Texas over its floating barrier on the Rio Grande. The suit accuses the state of building the barrier without proper authorization. The 1,000-foot chain of voyus uh, is intended to stop migrants crossing from Mexico. The legal action announced yesterday sets up a showdown over immigration that Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Republican, said he will fight all the way to the Supreme Court. IRS agents will no longer knock on taxpayers' doors unannounced. IRS agents knock on tens of thousands of doors each year. That will be reduced to hundreds and only in unusual circumstances. The agency said that concerns about employee safety when dealing with angry taxpayers prompted the change in their policy. In the future, people will get letters asking them nicely to schedule a visit with an IRS agent. The politics of coronavirus may have led to excess deaths among Republicans. Registered Republicans in Ohio and Florida had a higher rate of excess deaths than Democrats after vaccines became available in April of 2021. Now, this is according to a new study. The data linked death records to party registration but didn't look at voters with no party affiliation. It also didn't specify individual causes of death or vaccine status. Well, in Florida news, over the past three years, Ron DeSantis, the governor, governor and candidate for the Republican presidential nomination, has led his state through a rapid-fire reevaluation of Black history education. In that time period, Florida has adopted laws restricting the teaching of race, repudiated an advanced placement course that DeSantis blasted as woke, rejected a host of math and social studies textbooks, partly for alleged references to critical race theory, and in late July, approved a set of history standards emphasizing the benefits of slavery for the enslaved. Now, DeSantis initiatives have divided many in his state, but also folks across the nation. And Governor DeSantis is sharply cutting the size of his presidential campaign staff, reducing by one third a payroll that had swelled to more than 90 people in his first two months as a candidate. The DeSantis campaign has now made two rounds of cutbacks in the past week and has eliminated the jobs of 38 aides this month along. Now, this is a figure nearly the size of former President Donald Trump's entire 2024 campaign staff. The Florida governor has struggled to gain traction in his early months as a candidate running against Mr. Trump, losing ground in the polls as allies and donors have raised serious questions about the long-term strength of his candidacy. The Education Department has opened a civil rights investigation into Harvard's preferences for the relatives of alumni and donors when making admissions decisions, now, this is according to lawyers for several groups that claim the practices are discriminatory. Lawyers for the groups, Chica Project, 
Ace Dunn and the Greater Boston Latino Network argue that Harvard's practice of extending preferences to so-called legacy admissions illegally discriminated against Black, Hispanic, and Asian applicants in favor of wealthy students who were less qualified. Social media users, some of whom are identifying themselves as country music fans, are calling for a boycott of the country music television network after it pulled Jason Aldean's controversial music video for Try That in a Small Town. CMT had initially aired the video, but yanked it yesterday after it garnered widespread attention over its lyrics and for featuring a Tennessee courthouse where a Black teenager was lynched in 1927. You are listening and watching Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. In this hour, two superstar contributors are joining me. Uh, returning to the show is Dr. Larry Walker. He's a professor at the University of Central Florida. And making her debut appearance on Ariba Martin in Real Time is Sharon Reed. She is a TV host and commentator, and you can see her on The Young Turks. And in hour two, we go deeper and bring you the news behind the headlines with newsmakers, thought leaders, people impacted by the news, and the nation's leading experts. Today, in hour two of Ariba Martin in Real Time, we are talking about Black motherhood. Actress Kiki Palmer is the latest Black mother facing backlash, facing a backlash over what she wears. And amid the uproar, Black women are fighting back, standing up and challenging not only the statements uh, made by Kiki's partner and baby's daddy about an outfit she wore to an Usher concert, but Black women and Black mothers in particular are also challenging this broader narrative around motherhood and respectability politics. And we're looking at how rigidly linked these concepts are in the Black community. I have some of the nation's leading experts and one of the podcasters who has been outspoken on this issue uh, going to join me to talk about what does it mean to be a Black mother today and what kind of backlash uh, is happening in our community. And why are people worried about what Black women and Black mothers are wearing anyhow? Uh, make sure you stick around for this conversation. But before we bring our guest on, here's what I'm thinking in real time. This story makes me both happy and sad. And this is the story involving 25-year-old Carly Russell. Now, many of you know Carly Russell uh, is a young woman, a nursing student, in Alabama, who uh, was thought to be missing for about 49 hours. Her case uh, went viral when Octavia Spencer, Viola Davis, and other celebrities started uh, posting on their social media, uh, you know, efforts and flyers to try to help find what happened to Carly Russell, who was, uh, everyone assumed, had been abducted. Uh, the 25-year-old nursing student, through her lawyer, however, just admitted to lying about being kidnapped in this hoax that, as I said, set off this nationwide effort. Uh, Carly, through her lawyer, said she never saw a toddler wandering on the side of the highway. She said, through her lawyer, she was never kidnapped. Uh, in fact, she never even left her town of Hoover, Alabama. The statement also from the lawyer included an apology from Carly 
for her actions to this community, to the volunteers who were searching for her, and to the Hoover Police Department and other agencies that were involved in trying to find her. Now, in the days after her disappearance, Carly went viral on TikTok and other social media platforms. This case received national media attention as law enforcement agencies were searching for. Some folks believe that they weren't diligent enough and quick enough in terms of, of you know, launching this really broad spread and nationwide search. Uh, Carly was compared to white women that go missing and you know, a lot of talk about white women missing white woman syndrome and how different law enforcement and other agencies respond when there is a missing black woman. Uh, the chilling details surrounding her disappearance, you know, and the prospect that a child was used to lure her into danger, I, I think contributed to her case going viral and people responding on social media in the way that they did. We know there's been a lot of talk in the media about human trafficking and abduction has become a bigger part of a national conversation in recent years. So a lot of folks did get involved and started posting her picture and started begging for you know law enforcement agencies to take her case seriously. But unfortunately, this is the sad part. Um, you know, after... Carly said that, uh, you know, she saw a child wandering on the freeway. She called 911. She said a man emerged from the trees and that, you know, she was abducted and that she remembers being put into an 18 wheeler. She said the man who kidnapped her had orange hair with a bald spot, said she heard a woman, but never saw the woman's uh, face, said she managed to escape the trailer, but was then recaptured, taken to a house where she was forced to undress and be photographed. So she was put in another vehicle and then finally she was able to escape and make her way home by running through the woods. This entire story with all of those details was made up, just wasn't true. None of it ever happened. In fact, there's videotape of Carly taking a robe and some other items, including toilet paper from a spa where she worked. There's videotape of her stopping at a Target, buying some food. Uh, the food items, the spa items were not in her car when the police found it. Uh, they found her purse and her cell phone, but those other items, presumably items that she needed to survive over those 49 hours, were missing. Uh, and this case has raised a lot of chatter, a lot of talk on you know social media. Some folks who are saying you know they empathize with her. Obviously, maybe she's having a mental health crisis. Uh, you know, really coming to her defense, while others are calling her Carly Smollett, comparing her case to Jesse Smollett. Uh, trashing her, really saying that she's making it hard for all black women, uh, that now law enforcement and other agencies won't believe when other black women go missing because, uh, you know, she obviously uh, misled the public, misled her family, misled law enforcement. And sadly, she may be facing criminal charges. If you make a false statement to the police, if you file a false police report, you can be charged criminally. Uh, the law enforcement in her town says they're still investigating this case. They haven't made any decisions about whether to prosecute her or not. Uh, but this is a case we're going to continue to watch. My prayers go out to her. If she is in some kind of mental health crisis, I hope she gets the help that she needs. And I hope this one case 
uh, doesn't cause law enforcement and other agencies to, uh, you know, relax their standards in terms of, you know, looking for Black women, because we know there are lots of Black women, including Black girls, who go missing in this country every day. Many of them are never found. Their agencies uh, that are out there, like, you know, Black and Missing Foundation, the Black and Missing Foundation, that work around the clock to help bring black women and children home that do go missing. So heart, you know, prayers to Carly, to her family. Hopefully she's not charged criminally. Hopefully she gets the help that she needs if this is about mental health. Uh, and hopefully we take seriously the reports of black women that go missing in this country because our lives matter just as much as the lives of other women, particularly white women. When we come forward, more of today's trending and breaking news right here on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back, and this is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin, and we are tracking today's breaking and trending news, and I have two experts with me in this hour to help make sense of this news. Dr. Larry Walker, he's a professor at the University of Central Florida, is here, and Sharon Reed, a TV host uh, on The Young Turks, and a commentator is also joining us for the first time. Welcome to both of you. And I don't know, uh, Dr. Walker, I didn't plan this, but Florida is in the news every day. And particularly, it seems like they're in the news when you are joining me. So help us make sense of this Florida news. We've been, you know, we spent the last couple of days talking about these ridiculous education standards around slavery and Florida, you know, wanting to teach this distorted history, uh, suggesting that somehow slavery benefited slaves because it taught them some kind of skills uh, you know, but this is happening and, and Ron DeSantis is moving forward with all of these efforts to uh, reduce and, you know, distort black history while he's running for president. But his presidential campaign seems to be in trouble. Maybe, you know, he should take heed and maybe he wouldn't be in such trouble if he would stop lying about black folks and black history. What do you make of your governor? Well, you know, Ariva, we joke on the show a lot, a lot about me being, you know, a transplant in the state of Florida. But I think that when these issues, particularly like we, it was first, it was the issue relating to AP African American course, among other issues. This is all centered in the in that anti woke bill that was passed and became law just uh, on July first. But what I think folks need to really understand, whether we're talking about uh, what's happening in the state of Florida or Texas or other jurisdictions throughout the United States is that this is a response to Black progress in the United States. It is also a response to the continued diversification of the nation, right? So we become, we are truly a multicultural nation. Uh, for instance, Latinos now make up the majority of the population in, in the state of Texas. So these are, and these are responses that if you look at historical markers, it's predictable. Now, as it relates to what's happening in the state of Florida, look at, listen, I, I there's, it's ridiculous. Let's be clear. <laughs> and I, I think that what, what is troubling about it is I want to be clear as a, as a, a descendant of enslaved Africans is that black women were raped, black people were brutalized. And then right after that, we had Reconstruction and Jim Crow, which just ended in 1965. So often when people have any discussions about what these, uh, you know, what's happening in Florida means, also add to Florida as the third most populous state in the United States and has a significant minoritized population. So we have to continue to be on an attack. And that is going to be particularly when we talk about how do we address these issues in the state of Florida and Texas, among others, is that we have to continue to get people to register to vote as we file lawsuits to make sure that some of these um, um, you know, uh, legislation doesn't actually become 
law or if it does become law, continue to push back in school board meetings, et cetera. But this is part of the long fight that African-Americans have fought in this country for centuries, more than 400 years. And it's going to continue because, once again, this is a part of a continuous pattern you've seen periodically throughout the United States. Whether you talk about the response during the World War One, right after that, the, the Red Summer of 1919, or we talk about you know policies related to Ronald Reagan, among all, Donald Trump, etc. They're all a response to perceived Black progress and the shifting of what is perceived to be political power in the United States. Uh, yeah, so Sharon... DeSantis thought that he could just transplant his style of governing, his anti-wokeness, his you know rejection of textbooks, his uh, efforts to eliminate Black history in schools to uh, you know prevent kids or teachers from saying gay in the classroom. He thought he would easily just transport that style of government into this national campaign for president. But he's running into lots of problems. Uh, Seemingly every day there's some story about how his campaign is falling behind, not just in polling, but now this story out about how he's burned through all this money so quickly, having to cut his staff, reduce it by one third, uh, donors who are really nervous. And some are saying he's going to have a really hard time moving forward with fundraising because they've lost confidence because of all the missteps. Uh, what, what didn't Ron DeSantis get about what he's doing in Florida and why that's not translating or why that wouldn't translate onto the national stage? I'm not Sure, he does get it, quite frankly, Ariva. I I think he lacks range. Um, clearly, it would seem with some of his policies, he lacks common sense, but he's after power and he's after personal gain. What's sad to me is there are white people, your neighbors and mine, who actually don't know any better. Okay, the Southern daughters would be proud. They'd be very proud of this campaign to keep everyone ignorant. I've even heard a few black people utter similar sentiments that Mr. DeSantis stands before and they call him the bobblehead. His head moves more and more when he can't defend things. He can't articulate the policies that he's pushing, but he lacks the range. And you're right, in a national election, how will that play? I would like to see more middle of the road Americans and soccer moms not be on their heels. But like the doctor said, fight, stand up for something and fight, not just that which makes you personally uncomfortable. Oh, he's gone too far. Um, It's a problem. I don't know where we go from here, um, but he's a distraction right now. While the main character is set to be indicted in a couple of days, perhaps. Yeah, the main character, obviously, is former President Trump. Uh Dr. Walker, I was reading another story this morning about how America thought, you know, what their thinking is around racism and discrimination. And white people think this country does have a problem with racism and discrimination, but that is not that black folks are discriminated against. They think white folks are being discriminated against and that there is broad anti-white sentiment in this country. And they are embracing some of the policies in states that we talked about Florida and Texas, because that's their, they have internalized this notion that they are the victims of racism. And obviously that has to do with the rhetoric that has been 
uh, disseminated and is being disseminated on a regular basis from some Republican Party, the, the party of Trump, the MAGA uh, party. You know, you're a professor, so you, you know history very well. How do we get to a point in this country where white folks are have the audacity, one, to say that, you know, as a slave, you learn how to be a locksmith or you learn some other, you know, trade that benefited you personally and that we white people are the real victims of racism and discrimination. How do we get here? Well, Ariva, you know, it's interesting. I think that's a good point. I think, like I said, you're, you're, you're right. History is an, is an important teacher when it comes to these particular issues. But I think, like I said, when we talk about the ebb and flow of, of, of the challenge relating to the fight for racial justice in the country, is that we've consistently had highs and lows. And as Black folks, we have to stay the course. I think during the, the Obama, when President Obama was elected, there was a moment that Black folks finally sighed. It was they breathed out. And it was like, We've gotten to the mountaintop, and I don't want to quote Dr. King at all, but Black folks felt like it was like, okay, we, this is the moment. It is now time to move forward. But what they didn't do is understand history <laughs> and understand, like I said, there has always continuously been a response to Black progress. President Obama's um, election sent people off. And then when you, when you intersect that with the popul- how popular social media platforms is, are, is federal and state governments didn't understand or unwilling to address the misinformation. We saw what happened. We know what happened in Russia when the election between uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And so once again, that's another historical marker. So the question is, what do black folks do from here? It is about political and economic power. And Ariva, I've been on your show and talked about I'm a former congressional staffer. And I can the reason why I'm so passionate about these issues is that some of the things we're talking about, whether it's a women's rights to choose or issues related to race, many of my Republican colleagues are talking about when I worked on the Hill. So this is also part of a plan, a systemic plan over years where this talks about the courts and law, you know this, Ariva, this is all part of a pattern to get us to where we are today. So as a nation, we're at a critical juncture. So we talk about the election next year, but it's not just about the election next year. It is about where America is going over the next several years. And if we don't take immediate action in terms of making those those individuals who are responsible for lying um, or, or trying to distort the the, the past or talk about the challenge, not talk about the challenges today in contemporary, contemporary society. We have to make sure we, these people don't get elected and that we take as much power as possible because that's the only response to dealing with these issues. Yeah. And I worry about that because just as Sharon said, there are African-Americans. Uh, there were some African-Americans on that Florida education committee that was responsible for these new standards around slavery We have seen in states like Florida and Texas, when given an opportunity to elect someone differently, uh, you know, DeSantis and Abbott were given their jobs again. Uh, We saw Stacey Abrams be defeated in Georgia. And we know, you know, Georgia, we should put right up at the top with Florida and Texas. So as much as I think those of us who consider ourselves woke and conscious about these issues understand what you're saying, but I'm not so sure that. Others, it feels like people are buying what the Republicans are selling and that they are being convinced more and more that Biden hasn't done anything for them, that, you know, this administration it doesn't have their backs, that they're not looking out for them and that they somehow would will do better under a, a different administration. And, you know, there's talk, you know, Joe Biden, all this obsession with his age rather than his policies. You know, he's too old, but, you know, not thinking or focusing on all the things that he has done. Uh, in the short period that he has been president. So uh, 
I'd like to think that it is as easy as, as telling folks, but seemingly, you know, we've got to figure out ways to make sure that we're breaking through and the message is really resonating. When we come forward, I want to talk about uh, challenges to legacy admissions, what that's going to mean for college admissions, and this controversial music video by Jason Aldean, Try That in a Small Town. Is it really racist or are people, you know, it's a lot to do about nothing, which is what Jason and his team has to say. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. This is Ariva Martin in real time. And in this hour, I'm joined by Dr. Larry Walker. He's a professor at the University of Central Florida and Sharon Reed. She's a TV host and commentator. And we are breaking down today's trending and breaking news. Uh, and in hour two of the show, we'll be talking about Kiki Palmer, uh, the latest Black mother facing a backlash over what she wears. We'll be talking about what's up with folks criticizing Black women, Black mothers, uh, and why does it feel like Black women have a target on our backs? So make sure you stick around for hour two. Uh, Sharon, uh, before we went to break, we were talking about folks needing to stand up. Uh, Dr. Walker reminding us of the importance of voting, registering to vote, and exercising our you know, rights at the poll, building that political power. And I was talking about when I talk to folks, there's this sense that despite all the things that President Biden has done, including today, signing this proclamation, establishing these national monuments for Emmett Till and his mother, Mamie Till, they're going to three monuments that will be one in Chicago, two uh, in Mississippi, uh, you know, again, embracing Black history, embracing true Black history. That's what President Biden and uh, Vice President Harris have done. Vice President Harris came out really forcefully against these Florida education standards. But, you know, you talk to a lot of folks and you've interviewed a lot of folks on your show. Are, are you feeling like folks are getting it that there's only one way to go in this 2024 election and it's Joe Biden? And he may not give you everything that you want, but the alternative is very, very scary and very dangerous. And people need to understand. And the answer to your question is no, they're not getting it. But they also need to understand that they're, that's it. It's going to be Donald Trump as, as we see it right now as the nominee and indicted former president. And so you need to figure out what you believe and rally around the guy who, who closest fits that. It, it really is as simple as that. I do think that people are um, still feeling dejected. Today, I listened to the news and I heard a judge give a traitor from January 6th, four years. The government wanted six, four years for beating a police officer, law and order, with an American flagpole, four years. Mm -hmm. And the judge said, well, he's had a tough upbringing. Had he been black, do you honestly believe that any of that, he would have been a thug? And he would have gotten hard time. So there's that, that indoctrination that teaches us that, you know what, that's just the way it is. But there's also, I think, willful um, ignorance by a lot of people out there. I can't tell you how many arguments I, I had with friends in the run up to the last presidential election who said, well, I don't like either one of them and I'm just not going to vote. Well, you did vote and yeah. you voted for Exactly. The okay. other guy. <laughs> By exactly. not voting. <laughs> yeah. You voted. You sure did. And so I just think it's something that you got to drill home, but you have to decide what you believe and you have to participate in what we know as democracy with all its flaws, or you, you have to just shut up and take it. Yeah. There, there's a certain maturation process that needs to happen with voters. 
particularly, and you raised that point. I saw that story too about that insurrectionist that got four years and the judge's uh, explanation for why more time wasn't given. And people, Professor Walker, will blame Joe Biden for that, not recognizing that under Joe Biden, he has appointed more diverse judges to the federal bench than any president before him, including Bill Clinton, the quote unquote first black president, and including the real black president, Barack Obama, uh, and not to mention Ketanji Brown Jackson, the first black woman to sit on the Supreme Court nominated by Joe Biden. Uh, And somehow, again, when judges like uh, you know, Ketanji Brown Jackson speaks up in that affirmative action case and uses her power. Biden doesn't get the credit, I think, that he deserves for that, but he gets the blame when there are judges that, you know, hand out these soft sentences for insurrectionists. So Democrats don't necessarily get, yeah, if you want more judges that are going to, uh, you know, not overturn Roe v. Wade, that are not going to uh, side with Republicans on issues like, you know, everybody in the world can have a gun no matter what, no testing, et cetera. You've got to keep a Democrat in the White House because it's a Democratic president appointing the kinds of judges that share the values that, you know, many of us have. That message, Sharon is saying it, I'm saying it. We're not so sure, Professor, it's resonating. No, I, don't, I agree with both of you. I don't, I don't think it's resonating. And, it, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I, for me personally, Joe Biden is, is in his, you know, three years or so as president has exceeded my expectations, which were, you know, I got to be quite honest. And I think when it comes to issue relating to civil rights, the, his White House is really attacked from, from multiple perspectives. First of all, you talked about the number of federal judges and the number of black women in particular, many of them who, you know, some of them we saw recently in the last couple of months um, working for various entities, a legal defense fund, et cetera, with progressive uh, backgrounds who are also young. So these are lifetime appointments. So that, you know, you, you highlighted that. It's really critical. And that's why he needs to get reelected so we can continue that trend. The second thing is in terms of let's get Christian Clark and the Office of Civil Rights yes. a round of applause for them holding people responsible, law enforcement, also corrections officers, for the mistreatment of minoritized groups, primarily black folks. And so and then you talk about obviously today, the signing today was Emmett Till's um, birthday, he would have been 82 years old today, and signing this legislation that will create these three different monuments. So, and then last week, VP Harris flying to Jacksonville and yes. being explicit in her criticism of these um, standards that have been changed. So, and when you look at uh, the last several presidents, including you know President Obama, Joe Biden's first four years has been the most progressive yes. when it comes president when it comes to civil rights issues. Now, part of the argument with President Obama is he also being the first black president is also the challenge of being the first black president and right. not having the ability. We remember the issue with um, our Harvard president, uh, uh, Professor Gates, and mm-hmm. in terms of how, you know, President Obama responded to that. And then the backlash, well, I should call it the blacklash, really, mm-hmm. in terms of what happened. So he Jeff didn't have Gates, the right. he didn't have the he didn't have the flexibility that Joe Biden does as an older white male to make certain stances. So I think it's important to provide context. But Joe Biden and his administration have been quite progressive on civil rights issues. Not perfect, but you have to give them the credit when the credit's due. And I'm not even talking about the economy yet, which has certainly responded and rebounded since the pandemic. Yeah, the lowest black unemployment rate that we have seen in this country ever. 
And for all those folks always harping and whining, saying Vice President Harris doesn't do anything. I'm glad you mentioned she flew to Jacksonville, told her people, get me an audience. I got to get to Florida ASAP to address this nonsense that's happening. So uh, Vice President Harris is is absolutely doing all kinds of things. Let me ask you, Sharon, about this uh, going after legacy admissions. I didn't think we would see this, obviously, after the uh, affirmative action was struck down by the Supreme Court and college admissions. Civil rights groups say we're not taking this line down. If you're going to get rid of affirmative action and say that universities can't use uh, you know, someone's ethnicity, their race to consider admissions, then let's talk about all those white kids who are not qualified, but get into these top universities because their parents donate enough money to build buildings on these campuses, to build entire wings. Uh, and now these civil rights groups are going after them in the Justice Department under Kristen Clark, a Harvard Law School graduate, give it up for Kristen, uh, has opened its own civil rights investigation. I, I didn't think I would ever see this. Are, are you surprised to see Harvard being called on the carpet for legacy admissions? I am. Um, and let me say this. I applaud it. It deserves a, a standing ovation. But here's the difference between uh, those who really got rid of affirmative action um, and, and those who want it back. Ruthless. I would like to have seen this push, this legal push to end these legacy admissions before affirmative action was lost, because that's what the other side's doing, trumping up the, <laughs> these cases and getting them rushed to the Supreme Court so they can do their bidding. That, to me, is the difference. And, and let me just say about the last point, Dr. right. Joe Biden has done pretty much everything he promised to do during the campaign, but the messaging is not resonating. And I don't even know if that's his fault, okay? Barack Obama was a beautiful communicator. You know who else, as I hold my nose and say it, is, is a beautiful communicator? Because he's ruthless and he'll say whatever he wants. Donald Trump, you have to figure out, and the media's to blame too for President Biden's messaging not getting out. Perhaps he's not as entertaining. Perhaps he stumbles a few times, but he's doing the heavy lifting and it comes at a cost for him, but he's still doing it. When Representative Clyburn resurrected Joe Biden's campaign, he listened. This man took the oath of office and he said the quiet part out loud. I don't know what else we can expect from him in this stretch. He did it. But yeah. I do think the messaging is is a real problem when you're dealing with people who will do and say anything. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's not necessarily Joe Biden's or the party's fault or the administration's fault. The media just loves a train wreck. And, and Donald Trump gives them a train wreck. Anytime you are facing you know, multiple federal indictments, multiple state indictments. You're already twice impeached. You have civil suits. You know, I was teasing one of my trial lawyer friends. I'm like, you know, we're used to having a busy trial calendar. Donald mm. Trump's trial calendar starting in October all the way through the summer of next year is busier than the busiest trial lawyer in this business. Uh, and that's what the media loves. They love that train wreck. When we come forward, we got to talk about this Jason Aldean's controversial music video, a video called Try That in a Small Town. Is this really uh anti-Black anthem and a pro-police anti-protester anthem? Or is it just an innocuous video about loving your small town? 
when we come forward right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Jason Aldean's controversial music video for Try That in a Small Town has uh, caused a lot of controversy. The video originally aired on the Country Music Television Network. It was yanked, though, yesterday after widespread attention over its lyrics and for featuring a Tennessee courthouse where a Black teenager was lynched in 1927. The video lasted just one week on the network before they pulled it. Uh, When the video was removed from its rotation, it had only 350,000 views on YouTube. Now, since the controversy, that video has been viewed over 16 million times, is now the number one trending video under the music category. And if you haven't seen the video yet, uh, Jason Aldean, who has received the Country Music Artist of the Decade by the Academy of Country Music, performs in front of the Maury County Courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee, Now, this courthouse is the site of the 1946 Columbia race riot and the 1927 mob lynching of an 18-year-old Black teenager. Uh, Folks say that this video is a visual dog whistle to racism, and some say it's actually a pro-lynching video. What do you think, Professor Walker? Is this video, you know, dog whistle? Is it pro-lynching? Al Dean and his team have come out and said, You know, they don't know what folks are talking about. He was just celebrating growing up in a small town and remembering, remembering when life was simple and easy and folks got along. And he says personally, he didn't know about the history of this courthouse. Are you buying that? No. And this is the intersection of racial violence and capitalism in America. I'm just going to keep it. Keep it a a buck. okay? (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to keep it 100, as we say in the community. And that, and that's just it. I mean, listen, this is getting this got feels of birth of a nation, you know, or or you know, or going with the wind. It's it's it's, it's propaganda, and I use those two, mo- you know, movies as example because this country has you know excelled of using racist propaganda to reinforce stereotypes and misconceptions about black people. So let's just be clear. Yes, oh, and because some people say maybe he didn't know about it, but listen, I looked at I looked at the lyrics. It is consistent with everything we've seen here since the election of, of Donald Trump and this trend and response, as I said, highlight that before, is response to black, a perceived black progress in the United States. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's a it's an age old tradition of using propaganda that specifically focuses on a particular topic. This one relating to uh, perceived um, you know, political power or violence. He didn't have any January 6th tape on that, did he? He didn't have any of that on there, did he? Well, Sharon, I I was buying it. You know, I I was buying it. I wasn't buying it. I was reserving judgment. Let me be clear. Mm -hmm. I said, let me do a little bit more research. Then as I looked, I didn't know who Jason Aldean was. And I looked him up. And to your point, Professor Walker, not only is he a big Trump supporter, but he has dressed in blackface. He likes to wear the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag is a part of his merch that he sells. Uh, around his other merchandise. And yeah, I, I think it's kind of hard to believe when you look at the stanza, particularly stanza two. Stanza one sounds okay. It's not that controversial, but then he gets into stanza two and it's very clear that this is uh, attacking folks who protest, uh, even peaceful protests. And you're right, Professor uh, Walker, I didn't see any January 6th footage. And he claims that all of that footage is from news reports, which I think a sister has gone on uh Instagram or Twitter to say, no, dude, first of all, that's a lie. 
uh, all that, you know, is not original footage from the news. But what were you thinking, Sharon, when you saw this controversy? Well, he's all in. And he's been to Mar-a-Lago, too. I don't know if he used that restroom where the documents were stored, but (laughs) he's all in on this. So, look, cut it. If you want to be a racist, be a racist. If you want to be a bully, be a bully. This is cowardly, okay? His defense of this is cowardly. This is a calculated, premeditated um, attack, if you will. He meant to do this to get the buzz so that Ariba Martin would know who Jason Aldean is. Okay, (laughs) now now you do. And I think the people, right, the people who are defending it as some kind of artistic freedom and freedom of speech, they're cowardly too. I'd rather you just show up as who you truly are. And that's exactly what's going on here with with this song. And now he's got a hit on his hands and it's another hit job at Black people telling us to sit down and shut up. Yeah, you know, you just kind of wonder, like, dude, just just own it. Just own Own it. it. Like DeSantis saying he didn't do it with the educational standards. Yes, you did, because you enacted this, you know, stop the woke or anti-woke legislation, which you knew would lead to these kinds of standards being, uh, you know, enacted by your education department. So I don't know why when folks get caught, they try to gaslight the rest of us into believing that somehow, you know, they're innocent, you know, they don't have blood on their hands when it's very clear that they do. And the other thing, Professor Walker, that bugs me about, uh, you know, Jason's you know, selective denial, look, this is Tennessee. So whether you knew about this particular courthouse or not, you know that the Klan was started in these little small towns in Tennessee. You know, the history of, of racism and the race riots that have happened in these small towns. So when you talk about hearkening back to a, a, a time when America was great, you do know exactly what you're talking about. So even if you don't know the history of this particular courthouse, uh, that's what's so galling about the explanation, Professor, is he knows the history of Tennessee. He sure does. It's not even from a small town. It's propaganda. That's all it is. I mean, listen, it's a moneymaker. And look, like I said, you, you, you believe in capitalism. He's making plenty of money. His record label is making plenty of money. And the other thing is, Ariva, let's be clear, you know, the white men engaged engage this kind of behavior have never really been held responsible throughout U.S. history. So this is the reason why he did made the video and wrote the song, because his, historically, the individuals that do this aren't held accountable. So, yeah, it's 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 a it's a pro lynching bill. Uh, and it's also an anti black bill and an anti protest bill, except for those who were at January 6th. Let's be very clear again about those. It is not focused on insurrectionists. It is focused on those individuals who protest relating to black, uh, you know, police brutality and misconduct. Absolutely. Uh, so to the, your point about capitalism, yes, now he has a number one hit on his hands. He had a, a little sleepy video uh, that wasn't getting a whole lot of attention online that now has over 16 million views. And, you know, it's a number one song. So he has accomplished a lot with this one video, attacking black folks, uh, spreading this anti-black hate, and at the same time, making money. So what's new in America? <laughs> we are out of time. Thank you so much, Sharon. Pleasure to uh, have you join us on the show today. And always a pleasure to see you, my friend, Dr. Walker. Uh, I am a whole lot smarter because I spent an hour with the two of you when we uh-huh. come forward and talk about why are black women being attacked for what we wear, particularly black mothers. And I thought we were over respectability politics in the black community, but I guess not. Stay with us right here on KBLA Talk 1580. A national crisis is growing in Israel. 
Lawmakers voted yesterday to weaken the Supreme Court's power to block government actions. The measure was pushed through despite months of civil unrest. Protesters say the proposals threaten one of the only real checks on government power in Israel's fragile political system. This may be just the start of a wider overhaul of Israel's legal system. Further unrest is expected. The Department of Justice sued Texas today over its floating barrier on the Rio Grande. The suit accuses the state of building the barrier without proper authorization. The 1,000-foot chain of a barrier is intended to stop migrants crossing from Mexico. The legal action announced uh, yesterday sets up a showdown over immigration that Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, said he will fight all the way to the Supreme Court. Well, IRS agents will no longer knock on taxpayers' doors unannounced. IRS agents knock on tens of thousands of doors each year, but that will be reduced to hundreds and only in unusual circumstances. The agency said concerns about employees' safety when dealing with angry taxpayers prompted the change in policy. In the future, people will get letters asking them to schedule a visit with an agent. The politics of coronavirus may have led to excess deaths among Republicans. Registered Republicans in Ohio and Florida had a higher rate of excess deaths than Democrats after vaccines became available in April of 2021. The data linked death records to party registration, but didn't look at voters with no party affiliation and it didn't specify individual causes of death or vaccine status. Over the past three years, Ron DeSantis, a candidate for the Republican presidential nominee uh, and the governor of Florida, has led his state through a rapid-fire reevaluation of Black history education. In that time, Florida has adopted laws restricting the teaching of race, repudiated an advanced placement course that DeSantis blasted as woke, rejected a host of math and social studies textbooks partly for alleged references to critical race theory, and just recently approved a set of history standards emphasizing the so-called benefits of slavery for the enslaved. DeSantis's initiatives have divided and riveted not only his state, but also the nation. And Governor DeSantis is having problems in his presidential campaign. He has sharply cut the size of his campaign staff, reducing by one-third a payroll that had swelled to more than 90 people in his first two months as a candidate. The DeSantis campaign has now made two rounds of cutbacks in the past week and has eliminated the jobs of 38 aides. The Florida governor has struggled to gain traction in his early months as a candidate running against Donald Trump, losing grounds not only in the polls, but also amongst donors who have questions about the long-term strength of his candidacy. The Education Department, that is the Department of Justice, and the Education Department has opened a civil rights investigation into Harvard University's preferences for the relatives of alumni and donors when making admissions decisions. Now, this is, according to lawyers for civil rights organizations, Chica Project, Ace Dunn, and the Greater Boston Latino Network. These organizations claim that the policies that Harvard has with respect to preferences is discriminatory. They argue that this practice of so-called legacy admissions illegally discriminated against Blacks, Hispanics, and Asian applicants 
in favor of wealthy students who were less qualified. The music video for the uh, song and the video by Jason Aldean, Try That in a Small Town, has caused uh, lots of controversy and a backlash. Social media users, some of whom who are identifying themselves as country music fans, are calling for a boycott of the country music television network after it pulled Aldine's controversial video. The music video lasted just one week on the country music television network before it was pulled in response to an outcry over its lyrics. Now, when the network removed the video, it had only 350,000 YouTube views. Now, that number is over 16 million. And the video is the number one trending video under the music category. Uh, Al Dean, who has been awarded the Country Music Artist of the Decade by the Academy of Country Music, uh, performed the video in front of the Maury County Courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee. Now, this courthouse is the site of the 1946 Columbia race riot and the 1927 mob lynching of an 18-year-old Black teenager. Aldine's video received fervent criticism online, with some calling it a dog whistle to racism and others labeling it as a pro-lynching video. You are watching and listening to Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's breaking and trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. This is hour two of Ariva Martin in real time. And in this hour, we are talking about Black motherhood and especially the uh, controversy online over actress Kiki Palmer's outfit. Kiki Palmer, as many of you know, uh, faced uh, a torrent of criticism really started by her partner and baby's daddy over what she wore to an Usher concert and how she was dancing with Usher, all of this causing Black women to stand up, push back, and to say, wait a minute, what is going on with this you know, respectability politics, and why are Black women, particularly Black mothers, being criticized for what they wear and how they conduct themselves, particularly when you are Kiki Palmer, who has a history of being involved in social activism, and being a positive role model for little girls and Black women all over this country. Why is she being attacked? And why is she being attacked particularly by her partner? And what does this mean about the way this country, including Black folks, continue to view Black mothers? When we come forward, we're going to talk to some folks who have a lot to say about this controversy, including some experts who uh, are going to give us some perspective on how Black women have been viewed throughout the history of this country. Stay with us right here on KBLA Talk 1580. This is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. And this is hour two of the show. This is the hour where we go behind the headlines uh, and dig deeper on stories that everyone is talking about. And today that story happens to be Kiki Palmer and Black Mothers. Now, actress Kiki Palmer is the latest, not the only, but the latest Black mother facing backlash over what she wears. Uh, the beloved actress was shamed by the father of her son for wearing a sheer dress at uh, an Usher concert in Las Vegas. Now, her uh, 
baby's father, Darius Jackson, uh, himself faced some heat after he shamed Kiki Palmer over that dress. Uh, Jackson, Darius Jackson, uh, tweeted a video of Kiki being serenaded by Usher, adding a seeming criticism of what she was wearing. Uh, his tweet said, in quote, it's the outfit, though. You a mom, quote, that's what he wrote in his tweet. And then he later doubled down on his statement writing, and this is his quote, we live in a generation where a man of the family doesn't want the wife and mother to his kids to showcase booty. Now, fans quickly came to Kiki's defense, mocking Darius Jackson, who happens to be a fitness trainer, for being known mainly mocking as Darius her partner amid this uproar. Some black women said that Darius Jackson's statement represent how motherhood and respectability are rigidly linked in the black community. So I have some women here who have a whole lot to say about Darius Jackson's statement about black motherhood and about what black women and mothers in particular should and should not do with their own bodies. Uh, joining me in this hour is uh, Ambria Meadows Fernandez. She is a motherhood scholar uh, and the founder of Free Black Motherhood. Also, Zaria Linton is here. She's a very popular podcaster. And Rachel Nix is joining. Uh, she is the founder of Birth Queen. Uh, thanks to all of you for joining me in this hour. Uh, thank you for your comments and your uh, brilliance on this topic of Black women and Black motherhood. Let me start with you, Zaria. I actually watched you on a podcast and you had a lot to Sorry, say about Mr. Jackson. So tell me your reaction to his tweet and his response or, you know, the way that he responded to uh, Kiki at that Usher concert. You're on mute. You're on mute. Yeah. Can you unmute yourself? Yeah. Sorry, I thought I was on mute. Yeah. Um, right. I'm a mother myself and I'm a very eccentric mother. I understand that like a lot of I'm not the the cookie cutter mom. Like I'm very bold. I'm very open with everything that I do. And I'm also, I also co-parent with someone who understands that that's who I am. And I just think that when it comes down to being a parent in general, there are certain ways that you have to navigate being in the social media aspect. So even that tweet itself, I'm not saying that how he felt wasn't valid because I think that his feelings should be valid, but the way that you go about it in a social media setting, whether you're someone who's in that that field or not, you're going to say something like that. People are going to now know that there's something wrong in that dynamic. And now that gives us to be able to sit here and have the conversation of, oh, well, he must be that way all the time, or he must have been that way from the start, or why is she dealing with somebody that does not understand her being in that field? And a lot of, I got a lot of backlash from it, I'll be honest, because I just feel like it's not about well, what was the backlash? What were people saying? What did they take offense to in terms of what you said? To in terms of what you said, um, it was more so you have to respect his feelings. He's a man, he's a man of the household. I think we're having some problem with your audio, Zaria. Let's uh, let our producer try to work on that. Uh, let me ask you, Rachel, what was your initial response to Darius Jackson's comments about uh, what Kiki wore to that concert? 
I have um, a unique and layered cake opinion to this situation. Um, I'm going to start from a perspective I don't feel we've heard at all. The first place I went was it's not of our business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm also an actor. Um, I'm an old millennial, so I'm I feel some sort of way about social media. We don't know the whole story. I I don't know their situation. Clearly, he felt some sort of way, and he put their private and public mm-hmm. and people ran with it without the full story. But what I also know staying on brand <laughs> for birth queen is that we tore up a young black family. And when we, and when you have a new baby, it is very hard. And so it is also new, especially in the black community for a mother. I talk to my friends about this all the time. We didn't see our moms go on girls trips and do anything for themselves and love their bodies. I, I literally have someone very close to me who was talking, commenting on my social media, right? Because I'm still Rachel first. And I'm very clear about that. And I could share maybe too much about comments that I've had in my household about some of my, you know, their father's comments about how I choose to do what I do. But I'm Rachel first and I have autonomy over my body. I think if we're moving backwards though, What I do not respect about the way, including Glamour Magazine and everybody else jumping on board that are not Black Americans or a part of the Black family unit, is that they just trashed their unit. And and like they both kind of had to dig their heels in the mud about their perspective of things. And no one was interested in them working it out or working through it. And I'm going to go ahead and put my whole foot in my mouth is... Young lady, you also had your whole ass out grinding on a man who has a partner with two children and you have a partner at home. It has nothing to do with the mother aspect for me, even though every decision I make as the mother of two sons, knowing that it could be on public display and Googleable for the rest of their lives. Right. I have that somewhere in my head about making my choices. But I just went to the Usher concert and went back. I got to ask you something. So you're saying she's grinding on him. So for her to be grinding on Usher, Usher had to be grinding on Kiki. So how is it okay? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is it okay for Usher? No, Usher, you just said Usher has a partner with some kids. Usher could have, but he could have pulled back. He could say, wait, you know, he could have done that. So why is the expectation up though, Reba? I got no. Usher could have could have walked his butt back to the other side he of the could've. stage and told security, "Get this woman right, off my but stage." He's an entertainer. He's an no, entertainer. No, we can't. No, you're I giving like Rachel. You gotta, you're like, giving I him a pass. You're no, giving, I'm not giving him. him a pass. I'm not. But you. But you. But hold on. Let me look. And Bria, you jump in in here because I, I don't like it when we have these double standards. And so much of it is informed by the patriarchal nature of our country. We've been we live in a patriarchal society where when a man is a player, they're applauded. You know, he's the man. You know, he's the dude. And if a woman does something that, you know, is considered promiscuous or has, you know, does something that is considered risque, that she's a hoe. You know, and there are all these negative connotations associated with her conduct. So let me let you jump in here, Ambria, because Rachel and I are about to go at it. (laughs) (laughs) So a hilarious irony about this discussion before I get into uh, the larger focus is that, um, you know, the album that I 
at least for my age group, that Usher is most well known for is the Confessions album. And that album is about him navigating sexuality, infidelity, and fatherhood. So it's it's kind of funny that we're having this conversation resurface in that way. And again, it is probably his most famed album. Right. Because um, compare that to, um, oh, dang it, I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I can't, I'm blanking right now. But compare that to some of the other CDs that we've heard in the past with women speaking on infidelity, speaking on um, transgressions and all of those things, how that looks different. And so one thing that Rachel said that I think um, she said a few things that I think are really worth digging deeper into. But um, one of the things that she talked about, of course, was autonomy. Right. And to me, one of the things that's important to address in this circumstance is that in uh, that black mothers kind of exist at the intersection of two dehumanized groups. You are black and you are a mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Neither of these groups have ever been given um, full autonomy or freedom over themselves and their identities. And so taking that and, and knowing, like walking into this common and understanding that when I became a mother, I was very aware of the expectation that I was supposed to surrender my personhood card for my motherhood card. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in historical generations within the black community, that felt like a worthy trade, particularly because narratives about blackness and family focused on the unit, um, which, of course, is very important, but often to the denigration and to the disadvantage of black wo- black women and mothers. And so, you know, having all of that in mind, we just kind of end up in this position where what Kiki represents for me. So I will say personally. When I saw all of that stuff happening online, my husband and I had a brief conversation about it. And he was like, so what do you think? And I was like, I think that they should handle their business in their house. And that's all like that. That was my overall opinion, because Kiki, the issue is never the behavior. The issue is the social contract between two partners. So there are plenty of couples that exist and are non-monogamous, right? Even within the black community and situations can go even further than they did in that instance. So we can't demonize the behavior or the action. What we really, we shouldn't demonize any of it because it's not our lives. And I got my own marriage to be trying to sort out. But (laughs) (laughs) outside of that, we end up in this place where we have to understand like one, they have a social contract, but the issue where myself and lots of other folks got involved is that what happened to Kiki was an example of how black women in general and black uh, mothers in specific are often burned at the stake for their behaviors. Yeah. So yeah, and let's come on, let's be clear. We could take the names off. This could be Betty and Bob. This doesn't have to be could. Kiki right, and right, Darius. Right. This mm-hmm. is really a bigger issue about black women. And yes. we know the earliest representations of black motherhood is the mammy trope, uh-huh. uh, the so-called mammy character, uh, you know, this huge maternal figure. Uh, that was presented as a sexual and just this focus on mothering. And both of you have talked about this, you know, black women for generations, we've been taught, I'm a mother of three, that when you have your baby or your babies, your mm-hmm. life is not your own, uh, that yep. we are caregivers for uh, and nurses really for our children. And you're judged if you work too much. If your profession is too demanding, then you're not a good mother. If you travel for your job, then you're always gone from home and you're not there with your kids. If you don't show up to every you know, school meeting, every soccer game, every baseball game, somehow you're not a good mother. So there is this 
uh, you know, uh, concept in our society that as a woman, you become a mother and then you become enslaved. I'll use that word uh, to motherhood. And it's not the same standard for dads. A dad oh, can no. be a cool never dad. It's never been. Work outside the home, come home at midnight, never spend a day with the kids. And yet, some you know, somehow will still be considered a good father. Uh, so, and, and, you know, when you take this image of Black women to its extreme, that's how we get these stereotypes of, you know, the welfare queen, baby mama, all of these, which are very pejorative ways to talk about Black women. Uh, sorry, I hope you're back. Let's see. I am. I'm good. I'm oh, good. great. Great. Thank you for <laughs> uh, getting that audio fixed. Uh, you, you were talking about the backlash that you got. I want to hear more about what folks, you said they came for you after that oh, podcast that I saw. What was the issue? Um, I think it's more so the fact that I don't look like the typical mother. I'm a mother to a three-year-old. I don't really have what's considered the motherly look. Like I'm completely tattooed. I have piercings. I'm very eccentric. And when people see me in that mother setting, it's just like, oh my goodness, you're a mom. Like, no, I've been a mom. I've always been a mom. I was a mom when I first got pregnant. And I feel like seeing someone like me speaking on like, you can still be a mom and still be sexy. You can still be appealing. You can still be that person that you were prior to when you got pregnant to now. And I feel like I still get the backlash of me being 27 and being dressing how I dress and being very vocal about what I do. And people somehow can separate the two. And not that I want the two. I think we're losing your audio again, uh, Zaria. Why don't you, uh, again, I'm going to have our producer work on that. But let me go back to you, Rachel, because Zaria is saying, look, people see her. She has tattoos. She has piercings. She may dress a certain way. And they assume She's not either a good mother or, you know, they're making a judgment about her. And you said you've had some of that judging and kind of mom shaming happen to you. Well, I don't think anybody's strong enough to say it to my face. <laughs> so they just say it These are trolls on social media. Yeah. No, I, you know, it's a big extended family kind of came to the grapevine. Um, and even I think there was one girl's trip or mom's trip I was preparing for with their dad. And I was like my little one was like six months old. And I was like, how do you feel I looked? And he had a very strong, disrespectful comment. And I was like, and I'm still packing. Wait a minute, you're, you're six month old? You said six year old. No. So I was six months postpartum with my oh. second and their dad made a comment about some of the bikinis I was going to wear on my trip. And I just was like, wow. Meanwhile, what I thought was so dope, it's my son's that pour into me. My five-year-old is the one that had caught me when he was about three for that trip. And I was still, you know, had my postpartum soft skins and stuff was like trying on outfits. And he goes, you don't think you look pretty mommy. Like he saw it on my face and he's like, you look so pretty. And so he honestly has been the one to, to remind me of the importance of taking care of myself. He knows when I have new growth, he knows when I like, I'll pick a jogger. He was like, don't you have tight pants? So I'm very proud that I'm raising. All right. Five-year-old. We see I'm raising men that are very <laughs> much. Hold that thought for me. Rachel. I, I want to hear more about this five-year-old. So insightful. <laughs> uh, when we come forward more in this conversation about, you know what? 
should a mom, a particularly a black mom, look like? And how do we break down some of these stereotypes about mothers and treat mothers in the same way that we treat fathers? Because at the end of the day, we are parents too. Uh, stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. This is Ariva Martin in real time. And in real time, we are having a pretty, uh, I'd say, spirited discussion about actress, beloved actress Kiki Palmer and the comments that her partner Darius Jackson made about an outfit she wore to a Usher concert and the way she was, I don't know, maybe we call it bumping and grinding on Usher. Uh, the video of them together at that concert went viral. And then after Darius Jackson's comments, uh, folks who had something to say about what he had to say, that also went viral. And I think it touched a nerve because Black women have been uh, maligned. Uh, Ambria Meadows Fernandez, who's a motherhood scholar and uh, founder of Free Black Motherhood, talked about Black women living at this intersection of one being Black, one being a mother, both groups that have historically in our country been maligned. Uh, and Zaria Linton is joining us. She's a podcaster who had a lot to say about that uh, incident between Usher and Kiki Palmer and has suffered some backlash for the way that she dresses as a mom of a three-year-old. And my good friend Rachel Nix is here. She's the founder of Birth Queen. She's also a mother who has a very insightful five-year-old who tells her on the regular that she's pretty and that she should wear tight jeans and don't worry about what other people say. Uh, and, you know, I, I think this conversation, again, struck a nerve with so many Black women, because if you are a mother, you probably have been mother shamed. You've been mom shamed, either because of your work schedule or because of the kind of career that you have, or because of how you present yourself to the world, whether it's your hair, uh, you know, your outfits, how you dress. And, and now it's funny because I was watching something online, this whole movement of women wearing bikinis. You mentioned that, Rachel. And mothers, women who've just recently given babies saying that they feel free in their bodies and they want to show their bodies off. So uh, I know, Ambria, in the research you've done and getting your master's degree uh, in uh, that you just told us about, there was a time that if you were a mother, you covered up your stomach, mm -hmm. your breast, everything had to be covered. There wasn't this, you know, these photos, sexy motherhood photos and mothers weren't going to the beach with a bikini on after having given birth and still having, you know, stretch marks and all the, the things that come along with motherhood. Uh, tell us how important it is that we see mothers in bikinis on beaches. I think it is important that we see mothers uh, in bikinis on beaches in the same way it's important we see mothers living the full diversity and possibilities of their lives. Um, again, as we discussed, there's this expectation that once you give birth, you die. Um, and unfortunately, with the maternal mortality crisis, that is often figurative and literal. So having that in mind, imagine th this struggle, and I don't have to imagine we're all Black mothers here, but like this this challenge of, okay, I am nervous if I am going to survive birth. And in addition to that, I have to prepare myself to surrender all of the things that made me unique, the things that uh, made me in, um, interested in my partner, the things that made me interested in myself. And, and it's just, it's just ridiculous. And one of the things that I wanted to mention, you were saying that there was a time that mothers um, did not have this option to, you know, be free and present in themselves. And a lot of that is because historically women and therefore mothers were seen as property. 
you couldn't advertise yourself because you did not belong to yourself. Mm -hmm. And so we are at the, or at least I believe that we are at this point in history where uh, women in general and black mothers in specific are finally realizing that our existence does not have to be anchored in someone else. It can be in ourselves and we can be present for our loved ones without dying to ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's so important, Rachel, because again, Kiki Palmer was criticized uh, and a lot of folks agreed with her partner. They were like, you're a mother. You're not supposed to be shaking your booty. You're not supposed to be wearing, you know, a see-through outfit and you're not supposed to be grinding on another man. I just didn't see though folks talking about what the man is supposed to do because it takes two to tangle and Kiki can't grind on or Betty or whomever, we can remove Kiki from this equation. You can't grind on another person, uh, particularly, uh, you know, unless there's some power dynamic happening, unless that person, i.e. that man is willingly right. participating. Right. Uh, how do we start having conversations that really acknowledge that as a parent, a woman or a man, you know, breaking out of these traditional roles that women have been put in. I think that's so dangerous for our daughters that we're raising that they have to grow up thinking, I'm not okay if I don't fit the mold. Well, I think it starts with our sons, if I may interject, because I'm the mother of two Black men that I'm raising. I don't claim boys. Is that we have to be careful of saying we have to give independence and autonomy to our girls. Because until we disrupt and dismantle a patriarchy that exists in any color of a man, because this world is a man's world, right? It was not created for any woman, be it native, white, or black in the United States of these Americas. It was absolutely constructed for the white man. And then any other man, and then some women eventually who benefited, right? Trickle down effect. So we're at the bottom of the totem pole. So I absolutely put the baton in the hands of men to create space and time for us to feel safe. You know, to 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 make it personally, I just went on a vacation in Jamaica. I felt comfortable. I questioned like, okay, you know, this is a trip with men and women and partners and non-partner people attending the trip. Is it okay? Like literally the birthday girl, I got approval about it because I wasn't sure what everybody's comfort level was. I'm comfortable and I love myself no matter what, because again, I'm Rachel first, but that's how I move. But I also am cognizant that everybody is has not arrived at that comfortability in themselves, in their relationship or otherwise. So I also think it's you do have to be a responsible citizen in outside of yourself. It's not that you are acting in an accordance of any structure, because I don't do that. But you do have to be responsible for your actions. And I'm not saying this in regards to this specific situation, but we are our actions affect other people. And so no matter what that is. Um, and so I think it's more of that. And so what's sad about this is we didn't use this as an opportunity to have a conversation. We just created dissension and judgment. It was a rinse and repeat of judgment and criticism. And I'm not one to judge. Like clearly that man was hurt and felt some sort of way. So let's talk about it. Yeah. And Zaria, to that point, if, if you had a message for Darius Jackson or men that think like Darius Jackson, because he's not alone. Lots no. of men came to his defense. Lots of men were like, yeah, you're right. He's your man. You disrespected mm -hmm. your man, blah, blah, blah. So if you had to say something to the Dariuses of the world, what would you want them to know about Black motherhood? That at the end of the day, like 
we sacrificed ourselves to have our children and we allowed ourselves to be vulnerable to you to carry your children. So it's a level of respect that needs to be had because I think the main thing that he went wrong about was putting it in a social media aspect to where now we can sit here, all four of us can sit here and have a conversation about what we think he did wrong, what we think she did wrong, when it shouldn't be in this aspect. You guys both have this bond. This should have been a conversation that should have been had parent to parent. And mm -hmm. just to jump in, I gave birth during the pandemic. I mm -hmm. lost a lot of myself. And even in the first few months of me having my child, the first year, actually, I lived in fear. Once I realized we can start opening back up, I learned myself in a way that I didn't even know who I was. Like It was already enough I lost myself being pregnant, but I lost myself after I gave birth to my child, not even being able to socialize with people. Now, I know who I am because I spent a whole year and some change of learning who I am. Now, I want this person to be out in the world. I know who I am. I know who I am as a mother and who I am as Zaria myself. So now I want to live this life. I want to be this person. So I just think that there needs, there needs to be conversations with both parents, even prior to when you guys decide to have a child, to know at least like certain people are going to change after they have a kid. And you have to prepare for that change. But it also needs to be a conversation that is had amongst y'all, not into a, a social media platform. Yeah, I think everybody can agree, you know, these kinds of very sensitive, very private discussions are best had in private. Mm -hmm. uh, not online, not so that the whole world can, you know, be a part of and participate in. But when we come forward, I want to talk about the fact Kiki Palmer has been very transparent about embracing her curvaceous postpartum body, which we know is not always the case that many women feel shame uh, of their bodies and they struggle with body image issues. They feel insecure after giving birth. Uh, and we know that a lot of black women in particular and mothers in general are affected health outcomes, poor health outcomes after uh, giving birth, including postpartum depression uh, and other kinds of uh, you know illnesses that impact women. So I want to talk about how do we get past this, you know, insecure about our bodies and start really believing that we are the badasses that all of us are and what I believe to be all Black mothers. Uh, when we come forward, KBLA Talk 1580. Ambria, one of the things that bothered me about this whole controversy was we never see men's conduct being weaponized against them or, you know, conversations about, oh my God, he shouldn't have done that. He's a father. Uh -huh. And, you know, and, and this you know, display that this whole controversy. I wish we were seeing folks weigh in on the black maternal mortality race that we've kind of touched on in this show. I wish the outrage that folks had about Kiki Palmer's dress or her, you know, uh, getting close to Usher. Look, they're both, you know, celebrities. So it could have been all a part of a, a whole stage performance. We don't even know that. Uh, mm -hmm. But I wish we had the same level of passion about black women dying in childbirth. And I wish we had the same level of passion when we look at men who are engaged in all kinds of conduct that if we want to, you know, play respectability politics, uh, we can, you know, start the roll call on men. Uh, how do we get, you know, to this place where we're having conversations that are not judging women based on these antiquated standards of what a mother should be, but recognizing mothers as women, as people uh, who don't lose who they are simply because they give birth? I believe that in order for us to make that progress and see um, mothers as full humans, and then of course, black mothers as full humans, we have to, again, think about that intersection that we're at. 
We have to see black people in all of the spectrum of identities and every flavor of ice cream that we come in. Mm -hmm. We have to see all of us as human and we have to see all of um, we have to see mothers as human. We have to see um, children as human. We have to see the entire um, social community, not just individuals who are in our family, but um, folks who go beyond that and just the entire global society is human. And um, thinking about what you mentioned before about not having these conversations around men and their actions is personally, I don't have a desire to flip systems of oppression so that we are simply taking the behaviors that disadvantage one group and applying them to another. That's never the set of interests that I have. Um, so for me, it is more than talking about, uh, it is more than reframing and calling out patriarchy, but it is also giving folks the opportunity for humanity, because I believe one of the reasons we're not having those conversations with our men or about our men is because this is a matter of their personhood too, especially within the black community, except there is a certain set of behaviors that we expect in order to prove uh, masculinity, you know? And so we end up in this position where um, motherhood and femininity is aligned with reproduction, um, silence and often ownership and trying to be the catch. And masculinity is associated with uh, free range, control, domination and uh, being that person who owns the property. And we really need to spend that time breaking down each of those, because I don't believe that. I, I think that one of the reasons that, again, as much as even though it should be in their own house, one of the reasons that Darius felt comfortable bringing that to social media is because he likely did not feel comfortable being vulnerable in that personal space because manliness, quote unquote, whatever that means, especially black and African descendant manliness, doesn't encourage clear expression of emotions, but it does encourage public dragging. It does encourage demonizing black mothers. It does encourage all of those things. And so I believe it's a matter of personhood and making sure all of us have access to that vulnerability and that freedom of expression. Well, I'm not in favor of, you know, uh, oppressing anyone, including mm -hmm. men, but I am very much in favor of calling out patriarchy and helping people understand how patriarchy influences how we move through this world, because women have been inundated with patriarchal messages. And we often are as bad as men, because oh, yeah. there were also women who were criticizing her because we have bought into this notion that a mother, a respectable mother does certain things and doesn't do other things. Very so I, I'm fine with getting to personhood, but I don't know if we can get there without calling out the patriarchal nature of the world that we live in and how that has influenced all of us, not just men, because mm -hmm. women are sometimes we can be the worst. We are harder on uh, other women sometimes even than men. And, and we see that. And I would imagine, Zaria, some of the people who criticize you, they aren't all men, are they? No, they're not all men. I have like, it's, it's it was a lot of men that originally came at me a little bit in terms of like, you're a mother yourself. How can you sit here and say that? But then there are also women who have children too that are just like, well, I understand because I'm not going to do that for my man because I was taught to do this, that, and the third. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. And I'm not saying that men are wrong because if that's why you were raised, then I, who am I to tell you that you're wrong? But I just know that I was raised in a, a household where I knew what the patriarchy was. 
I was told that to still be yourself. My mother, who was always like my backbone with everything, be who you are. You're a great mother. That does not take away from the nail length that you have, the hairstyles that you have, the tattoos, the face tattoos. All of that does not take away from who you are as a mother. Mm. As long as you take care of what you take care of when it comes to your child, everything else is trivial. And I just feel like I'm main. I'm mainly one of those main people. Like I, I don't care about the patriarchy. I will argue a man down. Like I, you were taught that. You were taught that from who? You were taught that from your grandparents, grandparents, grandparents. I'm learning. Yeah. I, I'm not, uh, again, I, I don't think it's so much about judgment, but I do think we have to challenge people and we have to help educate people because a lot of people don't know. A lot of people fall into these yeah. sexist stereotypes mm-hmm. and these tropes because it's been it's what's been taught to them. I wrote a book uh, about the lies that women have been told, and it forced me to look at a big lie that I was told by the people I love the most in this world, some of the people, my grandmother, my godmother who raised me, and I don't hold it against them. They told me what had been told to them. Right. But I had to confront that what had been told to them was a lie. And it was a lie about, again, women and limitations that women have, you know, this natural order of things that women have been taught that there's this natural order of men being superior to women. It goes all the way back to the Adam and Eve story, goes back to the story of men as hunters and women as gatherers. So there are these historical narratives that we can look to that reinforce that are the backbone and the foundation of this patriarchy that have been told to our grandparents and they pass it down to our mothers and, you know, it then gets passed down to us. And I, I think we in this, you know, when you know better, you do better. So right. when we know better, we've got to do better and we've got to challenge, you know, whether it's Mr. Jackson or, or anyone else and, or, you know, Mr. Jackson's sister, you know, Mrs. Jackson one or, or whomever, because I, I do think, Rachel, and I'll let you have the last word on this. We, we've got a long way to go. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and again, it's not just with men, but it's with other women, too, and helping women understand that, you know, these ways that many of us have been taught about women having a role, even in the house, you know, like women got to clean, got to cook, got to take care of the kids. And the man, you know, a lot of people still live like that. The head of the house. So what the hell is that? If I'm going to work and we going to work you know, together and I'm bringing home a big fat paycheck, mine might be fatter than yours. Are you the head of what? Say that again. <laughs> Help. Like what? So, but again, you know, a lot, of, and then people go biblical on you and they'll say, well, that's in the Bible and, you know, the Adam and Eve story. In the Bible. So, you know, a lot of men say, you know, the God made women by taking a, a rib out of Adam's side. So, you know, it goes all the way back to prehistoric times. So go ahead, Rachel. What, what do you want to say on this topic? Well, on the Adam and Eve, if we believe God was a man, he made Eve or Adam and he said, oh, damn, I forgot a whole lot of things. So then he made us and we were the rest. OK, so that's how I feel about well, the whole thing. I, I'll just let you know that I, I'm for won't she do it. So, you know, well, yeah, is right. they do he it. gave us everything else because he, he forgot a lot. And, you know, they forget a lot, can't find things and all that. So we're amazing. Um, I say start and end with you. And that's it. Everybody comes from a mama, a woman. We are the birth queens. Nobody exists without us. Um, and so if I give anything to a woman, don't worry about what a man has to say about you, including your daddy. Okay. Worry about who you are and do the work to find who that is and, and, and just breathe full life into her and everything else will fall into place. 
what saddens me about this is the external focus and affirmation about this. Like for my girl to feel like she needs to sell a t-shirt, like, like, boo, nobody else matters, but you and what feels good in your heart and in your home. And my, my goal is that everybody have peace within their hearts and with their homes and, and, you know, and their families. And that's all right, Rachel. I see, I didn't expect you to go there on a the t-shirt. You know, I got something to say about that t-shirt, but I am out of time. Thank you, Andrea Meadows Fernandez. Thank you, Zaria Linton. Rachel, I'm going to call you. Thank yeah, you, Rachel Nix. Thank you. <laughs>